When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the At The Hive Podcast, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. This is your host, Jonathan, and I'm joined, as always, by Chase. Chase, how are you? I am doing very well. The uh, early season hot start for the Hornets has <laughs> tailed off a little bit, but we're still they're still hanging in there, so uh, I think the, I'm doing well. The losing four out of five doesn't look great. No, but no. Like, it didn't, nice. I didn't it's feel nice like they've lost four out of five. No, because I mean, you see, you see the record there. We're recording this immediately after the Bulls game on Wednesday, so you see the record three and five, uh, especially with the health issues that they've had. It doesn't really feel all that bad, right? So I think to to start, I think we want to talk about the Bulls game and more specifically. I know the Hornets played a lot of games since we last talked, but I think all of them kind of blend together, and it's not as interesting to talk about like what happened on like. October 28th when you're listening on November 3rd uh, with three games in between. So uh, the Bulls game in specific, but I think the Bulls game kind of points to where the the decent start the Hornets had is kind of was kind of unsustainable, right? Like the Bulls found that if they just like guarded the Hornets and made them dribble, the Hornets had no answer. Because without, <laughs> yeah, like especially after Gordon Hayward left in the at halftime, the Hornets had. Dennis Smith Jr. as their best ball handler by far, and then the rest of their offense is like Kelly Oubre and P.J. Washington trying to create shots. And that's never going to be most teams. No, I saw a stat on Twitter today uh, from Ethan Fuller. He writes for a bunch of different outlets, but he was tweeting about the uh, efficiency of like the uh, self-creators in the NBA. Kelly Oubre is a bottom five uh, in terms of self self-creating efficiency in field goal percentage. I think it's like 35% right now. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's not, it's the teams are going to let Kelly Oubre, you know, dribble and look for his own shot and, you know, look for others, which he was, he was doing like after Hayward went out, he was making an effort to like, be like, all right, I'm probably the best shooter and scorer out here right now. Like I'm going to keep the team in the game, but you know, teams are going to let that happen. And you know, the Hornets lost by 20. So yeah, the, the, <laughs> didn't work yeah, out. That- that's not going to work. Yeah, the Hornets scored 36 points in the second half. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is not surprising. Like, like it's, it's, and it was, it was so ugly too. Like, it's I would very love to stagnant. See, I would love to see the numbers on how many of their, how many times, like, I guess, like, how many deflections the Bulls had, not necessarily like leading to turnovers, but it just felt like the offense was the Hornets, like, trying to drive in a straight line into the paint and the Bulls being packed in there and just, like, smacking the ball around and the Hornets just, you know, spent eight to 12 of their 24 seconds, like chasing down loose balls, trying to keep the possession alive, as opposed to like actually running a set or like passing the ball or anything like that. And then it was, it was just a bunch of like chasing loose balls, getting the ball smacked out of their hands, re inbounding it. And then like firing up like a Chuck contested floater in the paint. Not unlikely yeah. dating against Orlando. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and there have been like a couple of performances throughout the year already that like when the offense gets like gunked up and just isn't really playing with any sort of like ball movement or flow to it, which is something that to his credit, James Borrego pretty much always had them doing like even when they weren't playing well, like the ball was usually flying around. It was just the team turning it over or missing shots or taking bad ones or whatever. But it's not even that they're really doing that when they play poor offense this year. It's like, it's almost like they're just not even, they're just not getting anything at all. Like the the ball just doesn't really, it doesn't move that much. It doesn't really get into the paint. Nobody takes like egregiously bad shots because like these, 
they're for the most part everybody on the team is like a smart offensive player and knows yeah. their role and stuff like that. So it's not like anybody's chucking up shots that go off the side of the backboard. It's just like so slow and like milk toast. Like it's so like <laughs> like not like boring, but like predictable. Like you just yeah. know what they're gonna do every time. Like they came up, it was like we need to get Kelly open for a three, either like off within like one to two dribbles after he catches the ball. And it's like if he didn't get that shot, it was like they just backed it out and tried it for PJ or something. <laughs> uh, and it's it just like or or it, it just did not work. Like there was no flow really at all. And it, it's just because they don't have their three best offensive players at, as of the, the second half of that Bulls game. Like if they had Gordon Mello and Terry, like uh, it's a completely different story. But yeah, you can only ask role players to do so much. Right, it's yeah, the role plays for a reason, and it's yeah, so it's not fair, I think, to judge or like project the season as a whole based on what we've seen through the eight games so far, because like like I said, I, I like you said, as of the second half of the Bulls game, I think like Dennis Smith Jr. is the only player on the team that can like change directions with the ball. Yeah, like like everybody else is as good as PJ was the two games before. Uh, he's pretty limited to like kind of bullying to the basket and shooting like little jump hooks and things like that like he's not shifty with the ball and getting around people and creating space or anything like that um even gordon hayward isn't like he's crafty but he kind of needs some space to operate at this point in his career where he's not able to like get around people as much as he can to kind of get back people into a spot where he wants to shoot over them so without lamella ball and Terrazier, who can do that like there's just it's really hard for the hornets to to create offense especially because i think steve clifford's idea is just like let's be like get into the paint off the dribble and then use that to create space right like you either kick it out or finish but now no one can get into the paint off a dribble other than like they can like i said like Jalen mcdaniels or pj washington or kelly Oubre can like ride someone's shoulder into the paint and then have a crowd of people around them to strip the ball from them or they throw like a sloppy outlet pass or a kickout pass that doesn't really help the offense move at all. Yeah, and then like when they've had like it, at times in the first half tonight or when they were playing the Bulls, when Gordon Hayward and Dennis Smith Jr. were able to get into the paint, like that was when the offense looked pretty good. I think they got it back. To, it was I want to say it was sixty-four to sixty-one was the mm. the score. Like the, yeah. it was basically the last time it was that close. For the rest yeah, after of that Kelly game. hit the threes, yeah, 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 exactly. And then they, pretty much from there on, it was like it, not anything that we would really want to like <laughs> to, to glean any information from. <laughs> right. But the, yeah. there were times in the first half and in the first uh, seven games before that where, like, when Hayward and Dennis Smith Jr. were getting into the paint, the offense does look pretty good because mm-hmm. the like they they have the right like ball movement principles after the kickout pass or once the defense has collapsed to be able to create good looks off of it. It's just, they need to be able to have the health to be in those situations yeah. all the time, which has not happened. Uh, yeah. for, I think two, two games they had Terry. And other than that, it's been Gordon and Dennis Smith jr. Leading the charge. Yep. Just like you want to see uh, yeah, Kelly, right. Ray, Kelly Ray made the third three of the um, third quarter with 927 to go. So the Hornets uh, scored 27 points in the last uh 21-27 of the game. Yeah, see like that is just like that that go, they're not and they weren't like they has super high turnover numbers or anything like that. They didn't like foul a ton like it was just like just very slow and <laughs> just nothing yeah. really got no shots going in really. That was the, yeah. that was another problem was they shot uh, pretty cold from three, which uh, is yeah. I don't I don't know if you, if you uh, like anticipated them to stay at the top of the three point <laughs> percentage rankings, but they have plummeted from first to twelfth uh, over the last like three to five games. Um, they're at thirty six point eight percent through the eight games. I actually do think that they'll be at pretty much near the top. Like honestly, eight. I wouldn't be surprised if they're number one, but definitely the top like three to five in three-point percentage at the end of the season once they have everyone healthy for a length of time. But, like, (laughs) even with good shooters, like, there's just no way to create open shots right now. So I'm not surprised that that number's fallen. 
Yeah, and that number it always it's going to go up and down the whole the whole season. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it's I think it's plummeted ever since they showed the graphics on Bally Sports Southeast of how mm-hmm. good the Hornets have been shooting. Yeah, they had a, that was, was the last time the Hornets made too. shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a, it was like a, Hornets are top ten in like all these different categories, uh, offensively number one in three point shooting, and then since then they've just had like have not played good good offense <laughs> at all. Even the Warriors game, that was like the game of the year so far. They only shot 32% from three. They didn't really shoot that good of a percentage. They just got a bunch of offensive rebounds and uh, got to the free throw line a ton. Like they didn't, it wasn't like a, a good shooting from the field type of game. Yeah, that was a, that was a lunch pail game more so than <laughs> Which I guess Hornets basketball. I, I guess I want to talk about that. We should talk about that game a little bit just so we're not only talking about the losses. Uh the, the Warriors game, I think, kind of shows where this team could be, right? Like, P.J. Washington had 31 points, and not and he didn't even, he only made one three. Like, he was scoring around inside. Uh, the Hornets had 32 assists as a team out of 43 made shots. Like, Oubre had five assists. Plumlee had seven assists. Thought he might have a triple-double for a little while. So, like, I think that shows how the potential of the team, even without its best players... That there is like they still they have the principles there right and they just need the star players to come back where they can bring that little extra scoring punch and actually like consistently deliver these numbers right because role players can do everybody in the NBA can have a good game right it's, yeah. it's the the ones that like the players that stand out are the ones that have consistently good games so I think that Warriors game I think we we can cling to that Warriors game for a little bit longer right oh for yeah absolutely and like I like. Jalen McDaniels had a really good game that night too, and he has been like per- awesome to to start the year for the most part. Even against the Bulls as well, he had career high five steals, and that was basically the first game of the year that he wasn't shooting well from three. In the, against the Warriors, he was two for five. Uh, in that Knicks game that went to overtime, he hit some. He's hit an important three. He's hit a couple of very important threes yeah, already the, yeah he's had back-to-back or he had back-to-back games in the knicks and the or not the knicks, knicks wasn't back-to-back but he had the knicks game and then the warriors game yeah he had like the clut like the the big three to like tie the game basically yeah yeah he had 11 rebounds against the warriors like he's like i said the career high five steals against the bulls he's contributed in a ton of different ways uh and i feel like in the in the past like when he wasn't shooting well on like the the low volume of threes that he was getting he wasn't really doing a ton otherwise. Uh, I mean, he's always been like a good, versatile defender, but mostly offensively, he wasn't really able to impact the game unless he was making the the two wide open corner threes he got every game. But now it's like yeah. he can, he looks so much more aggressive and confident, like off of, or with the ball in his hands. He ta- he can take the ball to the rack. He looks a lot better, like util- utilizing his length. I think he's gotten a little bit stronger, uh, which is something he's mentioned uh, pretty much every like opportunity that he's someone has asked him about it since he came into the league. So I'm, I'm excited for Jalen for the rest of the year. He's been very, very good. Yeah. The, the, the shooting numbers are bad against the bulls, but his stat line, his final stat one is 11, 11.6 rebounds to assist five steals, two blocks. Yeah. Right. And like, uh, like first, second, third year, Jalen McDaniels is probably not, tallying five steals in a game where he's over right. five from three. Like, I feel like yeah. that type of rhythm would not line up, but now it's like, he's kind of settled into his role and that roles could be expanding too, as the year goes on. So, yeah. And I, so kind of along those lines, uh, now that we have eight games, you know, 10% of the season worth of data, uh, what, like, how much of a difference do you see? Because I think I'll tell you my what I think after your answer. Uh, do you see with the Hornets? Because it's basically the same roster that's your last year, so you know we're, it's a pretty easy comparison. Like, how much different does the approach look to what you saw with this team last year? I think it's safe or to say you... that Cliff Cliff Ball has been modernized a little bit, don't don't you think? <laughs> yes, there's a couple things in particular that I wanted to talk about that are completely different, or one thing I guess in particular I want to talk about that's so much different than his first tenure here. Yeah, I say I've I, this has been like one of the most interesting thing apart from Dennis Smith Jr. I think it's the most interesting thing that's happened with the Hornets this year is just the change in style, the subtle, subtle but not so subtle changes in style from. Uh, 
from Coach yeah. Cliff from his first tenure to the current tenure. Their Hornets are ninth overall in pace right now through eight mm-hmm. games. Who knows if they stay like ninth or in the top ten throughout the year, but I think it's pretty clear that they're not going to be in like the bottom third of the league uh, yeah. in that statistic. And what my favorite um, stat for right now, uh, it's on the on a website called Unpredictable, which has really good um, like possession timing stats uh, for the NBA. The Hornets are first in the NBA in seconds per possession after a live ball turnover at 6.6 seconds per possession. (laughs) These guys are running when they get a turnover. The only problem right now is they're 11th in efficiency, which you'd probably like that to be slightly higher if you're going to be number one in frequency. But, I mean, like, that's a very good philosophy, I guess, to enact. Like, when we turn the ball over, we are just going to bolt down the floor and take advantage of this opportunity, create an easy basket, because especially right now, like we just talked about for the first tw- uh, 10, 20 minutes of the show, the offense is not that good in the half court because they don't have a ton of shot creators and playmakers. You have to take advantage of those easy buckets, and they've done a really good job at that uh, so far. And if they can be even a little more efficient, I think the offense is going to get a lot better. Because we saw, again, we saw tonight against the Bulls, the only times that they were having good offense was when they got into the paint or when they got turnovers and could get out and take uh, in advantages in transition. And to, to that point and how much better the offense could like think of it. So the Hornets offense is as good as it's been and they're dead last in uh, points per possession and transition so far this year. Yeah. Like that's, that's crazy. I didn't even, that's <laughs> wild. <laughs> so, and that's, uh, and that's a product I think of just who's running the break, right? Like you get LaMelo ball and Terry Rozier getting more of the high leverage possessions in transition, uh, I think that number goes up pretty quickly, right? Um, or even not necessarily like finishing, but like LaMelo Ball leading the fast break and like dropping the dimes that he does in transition. Like that's going to boost the offense a couple points a game just on its own because they're getting out there and they're getting out there and running and they have the right idea. And then you get someone else that can execute that better. Then, then I think the offense takes a big leap. Um, the other thing that's been so t- totally different, uh, the emphasis on offensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. I know when Clifford was here the first time, I'm pretty sure the the teams that he coached before were like near the bottom of the league in offensive rebounding because it was always like, uh, you know, a shot goes up and like one person like MKG is a lot of like crash offensive glass and everybody else gets back on defense. And then like, I'm looking, I'm just like pulled up a couple of years. We're like 23rd, 26th, uh, the year we went to the, to the playoffs, we were 27th in offensive rebounding rate. And the Hornets aren't great this year. They're more middle of the pack, but I think it's more the, the idea, right? Like he said in one of his early season press conferences that he wanted the team to be, like near the top of the league in defensive rebound rate, and then near the top of the league in second chance points, and that's entirely different than what we heard from him in his first go around, where like talking about making adjustments and modernizing the approach. Um, and one player in particular, which we'll probably talk about him later, has really uh, come alive with that emphasis. But I think it's just it's an interesting like shift in philosophy that like we can still play good transition defense, but we do want to get on the offensive glass and create looks that way. Yeah, and it's gonna. I think it's gonna be so cool to see how all of this translates when Lamelo is playing too. Because I mean, yeah. we saw I like a little bit in the preseason, but he's not. Cliff's not pulling out all the stops in the right. preseason. So I, when he, when like I, I how much is Lamelo gonna be allowed to crash the offensive glass? Like, or how much is he? I mean, obviously this is one of his best skills, so Cliff's gonna take advantage of it. But like how well are the Hornets able to take advantage of it as a team when he gets a defensive rebound and they can push off of that? Cause right now they, the de- off of a defensive rebound is one the pretty much the only uh, like type of possession in which that they are not getting up the court quickly. They're 10.9 seconds per possession after a defensive mm-hmm. rebound, which is 20th in the league. And this, like you said, they're 29th in points per possession uh, after defensive rebounds. So Anytime the the slower that the ball gets up the court, pretty much, uh, <laughs> the worse it is for the Hornets. So that 
I'm very curious to see what happens when the player comes back that is like allergic to getting the ball up the floor slowly. <laughs> and that, I think that's probably a general trend for like basketball as a whole, right? Like, yeah, longer, yeah, honestly, yeah. That, I, longer, yeah I don't, that's not like a, a fault. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. The longer that it takes for you to get a shot up, generally the worse the shot you're going to get, especially in a professional basketball where there's a shot clock, right? Like, Right. The closer you get to like, unless you have a team like the 76ers or the Nuggets where you can have, or like even, I guess the Mavericks where you have like a guy that can get a shot at will out of isolation situations. Uh, you know, if you aren't getting, if you're letting the defense get set in their, in their, uh, with their principles, it becomes much harder than if you were just running in all that space. Um, but, uh, so I think it, kind of like to, to summarize that light. We like what the Hornets are trying to do, right? We just need the players to come back. Yeah. And the other guy yeah, we're missing, that's it. <laughs> we're missing Cody Martin too, which we haven't talked about at all and how much of an impact he makes uh, defensively and just with the hustle plays. Like, I mean, remember early parts of last year, how many games the Hornets won just by him and Ish Smith, like getting out and running. Like, cause they're not, they're not half court scores, but they just like wreaked havoc defensively. And uh, got out on the break and got the energy up. Imagine Cody Martin doing that with the the version of Dennis Smith Jr. We have. Yeah, and like the whole, I'm looking at it right now. I have this is actually the first time I've looked up this uh, stat query this year. But the Hornets are currently 12th in deflections per game, which mm-hmm. is a lot, honestly, a lot higher than I had anticipated it would be. Uh, but just because there are only a couple of players that really, I th- a, a couple like Jalen McDaniels, Kelly Oubre, I think has been pretty good on that um, in terms of yeah. like the deflections this year as well. But there are only a couple of guys I think that buoy that stat. But Cody Martin is obviously a guy that gets quite a few deflections, especially up at the point of attack with how smart he is and how rangy uh, his defense can be. Uh, when he comes back, the Hornets' defense in general is going to be much stronger, which is. 12th right now league-wide that's i've and not that people didn't expect this because i feel like part part of the point of hiring steve clifford is (laughs) to make the defense considerably better even though you have the same personnel but 12th through eight games like uh even if that falls a little bit like we will obviously take that if it stays up on the season compared to the like 20 23rd through 28th where the hornets have been in the last handful of years right and i think and that's the other thing to to the difference is i think the the defense has a much different uh approach i think the main thing being in pick and rolls um where i think under borrego was a lot more switch heavy yeah long, under tons of drop now yeah yeah and i and i i like i like the drop coverage because the drop coverage as frustrating as it can be when it doesn't work it it's it coaxes the opposing team into the shots you want them to take right because you yes. want you want teams taking floaters and mid-range jump shots and the drop coverage is enticing the guard to shoot a pull-up mid-range jump shot or a floater over the top of a big and if that's the off if that's how they're going to beat you like you're going to win more often than not unless you're playing against a player like demar DeRozan, who had an awful night against the hornets but like generally speaking uh unless someone gets real hot, you're going to do pretty well if you're forcing the opponent if, or if you're allowing, if the other team is taking the majority of their shots or a large percentage of their shots as pull-up dribbles, pull-up jumpers and floaters off the dribble. So I think that's, I like the idea of the drop coverage and the Hornets have done well with it in terms of like balancing like to Plumlee's credit and Richard's credit, they've done a good job at containing the ball handler without over committing and giving up a bunch of lobs, which I think is kind of the risky run with the drop coverage. Yeah, I saw Richie Randall from BuzzBeat tweeting about this tonight, actually, too. But I was Nick Richards' biggest improvement in his game might be his pick and roll play, like just on both ends oh, yeah. in general. Like you, like you just said, like his ability to stay between his man and the ball and kind of occupy as much space as he can and just make those a cut down on the amount of angles that the uh, ball handler can exploit has just grown exponentially since that mm. he he came into the league. He, I th- I mean, he really is pushing to be like, not maybe not like start over Mason Plumley, but at the very least, like split the minutes with him, like right yeah. down the middle at center on a nightly basis, or at right. least depending on the matchup, because Nick clearly moves a lot better. 
in the those drop coverage situations. And yeah. he's a little bit longer, a, a way more athletic at this point uh, in their careers too. <laughs> and again, offensively, when Lamelo and Terry come back, that type of connection in the pick and roll game uh, with a guy that instead of being like another a good passer, which does have its advantages, like Plumley, part of the reason the Hornets scored <laughs> those twenty-eight points in the second half tonight was because they had a center that can move the ball around a little bit uh, on offense, yeah. but. Even like when they put a guy in, in that position that can finish above the rim a little bit uh, and finish even above, below the rim, he's gotten a, a Nick Richards has improved a ton with his finishing on layups and putbacks and stuff. Like that, it's going to add like a much different layer to the offense because the Hornets have not had a seven foot player that can finish off of the pick and roll since like. Tyson Chandler like I don't even know like <laughs> maybe if you consider like Al Jefferson floater like little push shots yeah right yeah but even that like Al wasn't nearly as big as as Nick like it's just such a right. big target it's a like, different it's target like, yeah yeah exactly like it's it's, like, it's like Al Jefferson's so like a pocket pass how it works. hit a floater not like a lob it over the top kind of guy yeah obviously he had like barely dunk um I guess uh, the last thing before we kind of transition to, uh, I guess we can do that on the second half of the show. So did you have anything else on the first half of the show uh, before we come back with like a, a return of buzzing and wasn't uh, and a preview heading into the weekend? Um, No, I mean, I think, I think I'm good. I imagine that um, the one guy that we haven't talked a ton about, that's been a big story this year is going to be, yeah our combined buzzing so yeah we yeah i think there's a couple candidates so yeah we'll talk about that on the other side of this break so we'll be right back welcome back to the at the high podcast this is jonathan joined by chase uh let's do we're gonna do buzzing and wasn't for those of you that are new here uh, it's a pretty poorly designed pun. That's just like a stock up, stock down, like hot knot type of thing. Uh, generally Hornets related. Uh, as the season goes on, I think it becomes a little bit less, like a little bit more broad of a topic because, uh, you know, after so many, like you can only have so many games of like in the past, be like, yeah, LaMelo Ball is still good. But anyway, to start, I think it's a good opportunity to talk about, I guess, who's pleasantly surprised us and maybe disappointed us. And we'll start with the, positive so chase who's who's been buzzing who's buzzing these first two weeks i mean i don't even think it's an understatement to say that this is the most buzzing story in the nba right now a a buzzing feel-good story yeah i should say not uh in terms of like negative press there's been plenty of that for the nba (laughs) for the on the positive side i don't think anybody is having a better um, like season and for their career than Dennis Smith Jr. right now on the right. verge of trying out for the NFL uh, <laughs> in his own words he is now averaging 12 points 4.3 rebounds 6.4 assists and 2.3 steals per game through eight games played 30 minutes he's been the starting point guard in any game uh, that Terry Rozier hasn't played like He's shooting 42% from three. Like what? <laughs> he he's gets to the into the paint seemingly at will, which he's he's always been able to do. That was a, a strength of his game throughout his NBA career, even while he struggled to find footing uh, with the Knicks and the Mavs in his last year with the Blazers. But he's finishing well at the rim. He's the his passing is just like unreal. Like there was a there was one he made tonight where he uh, came with the, uh, up the court with the ball wrapped or coming up the right side and like wrapped around the baseline and on a live dribble through like a one-handed bounce pass to somebody in the corner. And it's like, it was like, he made it look so easy and like casual because he just like turned and ran back to get back on defense. And it's like, (laughs) that's like not something that he used to do all the time, like with in his, with his other teams and earlier in his career, like he has legitimately extended his NBA career, like at least by a year. Like I think he's at least going to get another, year in the league just off of this stretch to start the season because he's been so good in such a huge role like he's literally been the second best player at times on the team for the Hornets (laughs) this year and his contract is not even guaranteed yeah I I think like 
it'd be safe to say relative or maybe not safe to say but i think it's you could make a pretty strong case that like relative to expectations he's having the best year of anybody in the league yeah like i with i yeah without a doubt honestly like, like, like he's to, been so good like like for example my expectations for dennis smith is that we might not even keep him for the regular season i i thought he was going to get cut like i thought that that was what the the training camp deal like yeah. implied almost but that they kept him because on the exhibit nine contract you can just keep him for throughout the year i think his contract doesn't even guarantee to like around the trade deadline or something like that like, yeah crazy how good he's yeah, been like, for like right. the value they're getting out of him yeah i thought they were going to keep him. Like, he's going to be a training camp deal and they might wave him and sign like a veteran like if they bring in isaiah thomas or bring kimball walker or whatever i didn't even know if he'd be on the team and he's been like the engine for the team and and He's been, I, th- I feel like uh, his kind of problem early on in his career was he was like a score first point guard that couldn't score, right? Or like yep. couldn't score efficiently. He's like a high volume, inefficient scorer that didn't really like facilitate an offense. And he's been like the complete opposite this year in that his his usage is uh, the lowest it's ever been in his career. His assist rate is the highest it's been ever ever been in his or close to the highest it's ever been in his career. And then defensively, he's been like otherworldly. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember him his defense being like he's always been a crazy athlete. But unless I'm mistaken, I don't remember like him being known as a strong defender at any point, even coming out of college. No, he really wasn't like especially as a prospect that wasn't a strength, but like. To be speaking of strength, like that is his biggest asset as a defender. Yeah. Like he is so strong; his hands are so fast and strong. Like when he reaches in for the ball, he he gets it like every time. Like the, he he can swipe the ball away from guys. He's stri- he's str- like an old fashioned, just like one on one on an island at the top of the break can just strip guys and take the ball the other way. It's it, he he's become such a good defender. He's super active off ball too. Like he's. I tweeted a clip the other day where it's like they're getting back in like a kind of like half transition and he's in the like the between on the dunker spot on the bottom right side of the court and his head is literally moving on us like it's on a swivel just surveying the entire court like back and forth and he as soon as he sees the, the guy about to go for the pass he jumps it and it easily steals it and takes it the other way and throws a perfectly placed lob for Hayward to finish. Uh, in the in the Kings game, this was so it's it like it it it's it's unbelievable how good he's been so far. Like I'm not yeah. to not to be like oh it's crazy that Dennis Smith Jr. is good at basketball. It's just like it, he was has never played this well in this big of a role. Like it's and it's only been the eight games or whatever. But if he keeps it up in any relative fashion, like he's going to be the Hornets' backup point guard like in the rotation for the entire season. Yeah, that football training seems to be paying off because if he was adding strength and like the he's he's playing basketball like like a football player in terms of the good attributes. Yeah, because like, I think anybody that's played like pickup basketball knows what it's like playing with a football player, and they are like <laughs> overly physical and like anno- and like commit a ton of fouls, but it's pickup basketball, so they kind of get away with it. But Dennis Smith Jr. has like the uh, the the cleaned up version of that right like he bodies up people he is like super bouncy he's super aggressive he's like all over the place he plays like 100 miles an hour all the time but and and then kind of like what i was saying before like the way he's succeeding is so much different than like i don't know if like his kind of like how close he was to feeling like falling out of the league has had him like take on a new perspective or if it's like steve clifford and the rest of the coaching staff giving him uh, a different kind of direction than he's been given in the past. But like, like I said, the, he, the fact that he's completely changed his, like the way he plays basketball, it fits ex- like he's playing exactly how he should for what his skill set is. And it's, it's been like, he's, he's, it's been like a revelation and it's been, he's been a huge part in the Hornets being as good as they've been with all the injuries they have in their backcourt. By the way, he's what? ninth, he's ninth in the league in steals. Per game yeah, it's been it's been incredible how effective he has been on both ends of the court. Right now, he is shooting sixty six percent at the rim, which is not it's not even one of the the highest number in his career, which is is pretty funny. Um, but 
And his, uh, one of the coolest stats that I think right now is he, his and one percentage. This is per cleaning the glass. This is the percentage yeah. of shooting fouls drawn where the player also like makes the shot after. He yeah. is 50% of the shots that he draws a foul on, he makes the layup. <laughs> that's like <insane>. that. <laughs> and he, he won't that's maintain that, but that's still... No, no, right. definitely. But last year with the Blazers, he was 37%. Okay, and so on, maybe he'll keep it. Yeah, and he got fouled on 14% of the shots that he attempted, which was the 97th percentile in the league. And he's always had gone on and off with having high numbers like this. So if he can, like, string that together for a whole season, like, he's going to be somebody that creates absurd amounts of contact and gets to the line often and finishes through the contact. Uh, and not only that, what can he do that, but when he's getting into the paint, he can make plays which is going to make that threat of drawing contact even more potent because he can pass out of it too. And you have to keep their defenses on their toes. It's, 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 it should be good. If he can, if he can keep doing this, it's going to be a good time. Also, he's only 25. He's not even 25 years old yet. Yeah. He's 24. He's, he's younger. uh, That he's, yeah, he's, he's way younger than Terry. I don't know why I was, I was even going to say that, but I'm pretty sure he was only (laughs) drafted like, Two years after uh, Terry Rozier, he's in the he was in the uh, Malik Monk draft, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so like he's he's this it's it. There's a lot of time for him to uh, continue to improve, and then I think you know maybe he's found a home here. Lock lock him down. Fayetteville native, you got to keep him around. Is <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence that that he he is breaking out. I bet when he's back in his home state for the first time. I think it's, yeah, a lot of things, right? Like between the staff, this, the hometown, or I guess somewhat the hometown team. And then I think players tend to reevaluate themselves when uh, they're faced with the dilemma that he was, where it's like, hey, man, like, you know, the season's approaching and no one wants me. It's like, maybe it's like if I get a shot, I need to, you know, f- find a, like, find a niche. Like maybe, I think. And this is me just like wildly speculating, but I think especially players that are drafted pretty high, like they they come in and this is I think an adjustment that most NBA players have to make. But like you're coming in from like being the star, if you're the star of your high school team, you're the star of your college team, you're dr- drafted at the, like with a high pick with the expectation that you're gonna like be a key piece on the team that drafted it uh, drafted you, and you probably continue to play with that mentality that you did when you were the star everywhere before, and then. You know, you have these experiences that humble you. Not that you know players like overvaluate themselves or that they were not humble to begin with, but like, all right, maybe, maybe like, I can't try to make it in this league as a star right now. I need to like find my footing, playing a certain role, and then we'll build from there, right? Yeah, exactly. Like there, uh, I saw someone tweet. It's like the survival mindset. Basically, is like you, yeah. you get to a point where it's like, okay, I just need to do literally anything like because I, right. I i want i want this more than i want to play how i envision myself playing or how i yeah. feel comfortable or whatever it's like i don't care about being comfortable like i just want to be in the nba and that is clearly right. working out for dennis right now and it's right. very very glad that's happening in a hornet's uniform right like i said with dennis smith jr as an example like usage way down uh like assist to usage like relative like assist rate relative to usage way up defensive metrics way up like i say all right i'm gonna be i'm gonna take fewer shots and play like wild defense and that's working and then you know maybe that's not how you like you said maybe that's not how you envisioned yourself playing when you came out of nc state you're like i'm gonna be like damian lillard but you know this is what's working um I guess to to follow that, I think we should talk about the second buzzing candidate. That's pretty obvious. We touched on him a little bit. Uh, is Nick Richards? I think he deserves a little time in the spotlight as well. Absolutely. Is is Big Nick Energy an appropriate nickname? Are we <laughs> yes. are we doing yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. I, I think so. I think I want. I would. I'd be curious to hear his thoughts on that one because I think it, it can <laughs> it can work if you if if it's used in the right way and if if he is approving of it, but so I, I, I think it's pretty good. So I, I guess we'll just have to roll with it. But Nick Richards is currently averaging 11 points and seven rebounds per game. Like yep. what, 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 
who would have get like if you were asked any Hornets fan like what is the points per game over under for Nick Richards this year like I feel like most people probably would have said like somewhere between like four and maybe like six or seven yeah but like some garbage time uh you know play like 14 minutes a game off the bench and uh get a couple buckets here and there yeah just like some putbacks uh like a transition dunk or something and like a two-on-one he catches a lob like but he he's expanded his game in like pretty much every facet. Like we talked about the two way pick and roll play. He's so much of a better finisher uh, under the rim. And even within like he's not necessarily what I would call like a good passer, but he definitely fits into the offense in a much better way than he did prior to this year. Like it's it's a noticeable drop off in terms of how quickly the ball you know, moves out of the big guy's hands when he's on the floor compared to Mason Plumley, who is like one of the best passers at his position really in, in the league. But uh, he's, he's gotten better at pretty much everything that you can ask him uh, to, to like reasonably improve at over the off season. Like the only, the only thing he doesn't quite do at an improved level is he, he kind of has that same problem that Bismack had at times where his hands aren't great. And he, kind of bobbles or loses a lot of like quick passes or like uh, passes that got a little bit more heat on them underneath the rim. But I mean, other than that, and that's not even like, that's not really like a big problem. That's just like more nitpicking, but he's (laughs) like, he's been really good too. Like the, the Hornets have had some really good stories so far this year. Yeah. Like to, we talked about how crazy it is that Dennis Smith Jr. is, He's actually like on ESPN. He's fifth in steals with like qualifying players because some of the guys that were ahead of him are like off the bench. I haven't played a lot of minutes yet this year. Uh, Nick is second in the league in offensive rebound rate, and he's had games where it's been it, like absurd how many offensive rebounds he gets. Like he's had uh, where he's just like either either grabbing the rebound or like for, drawing fouls or forcing like the ball out of bounds or something on like what seems like every other miss. Um, which it, like Biz was really good at that, and Nick has really taken that and kind of um, you know, uh, added a little bit more finesse to it. I think, right? Like he's he's very good at the brute force of going after the offensive rebounds, but then his touch, like not even just like the finishing, like the dunks and stuff, like his touch around the basket has been so good, like finishing on layups and putbacks and stuff like that. Like, I, oh I yeah, he's had a couple of nice reverse layups, like where he's got to like spin it off the glass, and it's like, like he he doesn't not that he couldn't do it, but he he didn't really show stuff like that, like in the right. minutes that he got in the last couple of years. Uh, per, so he's averaging. Uh, this is before coming into the Bulls game. He's averaging twenty one minutes a game per thirty six. So it's like a decent sample size. Per thirty six minutes, he's averaging nineteen point three points and twelve rebounds per game, or per thirty six minutes. Yeah, and he's shooting 65% from the field, too. Yeah, <laughs> and 73% from the free throw line. What are uh, What is your over-under on made threes for Nick Richards this season? How, like, uh, do you, how many times is he going to pick and pop, take that extra step back, and rip it? Like, is he going to be allowed, like, not allowed to, but is he going to be, like, encouraged to do that at any point? Because he's always been a good free throw shooter, even in college. I, I, I think do think make, there's a chance he does. He, he I think takes, he makes, like, like, 10 threes this year. Makes. I would, hmm. I think I'm, I might go a little lower at, like, six or seven. I was going like, to say five I think first, he, but then. I think he's going to incorporate it at some point. I think if he hits one or two, like if he hits one pretty quickly, like if he doesn't start, as long as he doesn't start off like zero for four, zero for five, like I think if he hits one or two within the first couple goes at it, I think he gets more of a green light, and then I think we could get, you know, hit the over on your number, but okay. it's not going to be, it's not a thing because I'm going to pull, I'm pulling up his G League. He took like a pretty significant handful in the G League. Yeah, he did. He took. I want to say he shot a pretty good percentage on them as well. I, was, I don't quite yeah. remember either, but so he only played nine games for the Swarm, but he was seven for fourteen on threes for the Swarm. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that's see, a that's, decent, that's good. A, a decent fifty percent from three, um, in the G League, and, and, he, and he shot eighty percent from the free throw line in the G League too. Like he's yeah. never shot poor 
poorly from the free throw line. Like I think that 64% as a rookie on what seven for 11, which like when you read it like that, that doesn't sound that bad or as no, bad as 64%. Make, well, yeah. Cause I mean, if you make one more, that's like, yeah, uh, right. You're, that's so, like you're in the seventies. Like, yeah. okay, that's pretty good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he's, I think he's probably, I mean, I think this year is where he'll probably level out. Cause between this year and last year, he's like 72%. I think that's probably around what would be expected, but I think if your your seven footer is shooting seventy two percent from the free throw line, you're probably you're you'll take that. Yeah, he's got a couple twenty ten games or a twenty ten game, one nineteen ten game, uh, I believe, which was a little bit unfortunate, but I mean <laughs> he's been he's been awesome. The the Hornets, I mean, and the him and Dennis Smith Jr. obviously deserve the multiple minutes of praise that we've given them. But I feel like yeah. we got to mention Teo Maladon as well on a two-way oh, contract. Yeah. Best two-way player. Very confident. Yeah, all right. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I saw um, somebody tweet like he's already played more minutes or something like that or more games or was something that oh, any we've never uh, used... two-way player has in history. Yeah, I, like, I, the, I the, would the be surprised. never see the court. I wouldn't be surprised if after the Bulls game, Taylor Maladon has played more minutes than every other Hornets two-way player combined. I uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, he uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's averaging 14 minutes per game in in six appearances. Like, there's not, I, the most Hornets backups like don't <laughs> average 14 minutes a game, or like the the third guard in the Hornets rotation right. never averages f- 14 minutes a game. No, every I'm thinking like every two-way player has only I don't I can't think of any time where a Hornets two-way player has like actually gotten minutes other than like garbage time at the end of the year when the G League season's over. Like yeah, I mean it, it's had no and he's been pretty damn good in those in those right. minutes so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean he struggled against the Bulls, but yeah, like, again, I mean with a lot of these things, like none of this stuff was going to last forever. Or even if these players continued to like play well it's not going to be consistent right like we can't we can't expect like Teo Maladone to shoot 45% from three on decent volume playing uh basically as the backup point guard for an entire season and have success right like yeah it's supposed to be in more spot duty but yeah he does deserve a ton of praise um for and also like I think Mitch Kupchak gets needs to get some praise for bringing in like Teo Maladon such a unique two-way player to have, right? Like he's, he's still only 21 years old. He's got two years of NBA experience and he played, he started 56 games uh, and was pretty highly regarded as a prospect. Like it's, it's a pretty interesting, a pretty rare find, I think from two-way players, which like we've seen in the past, which most teams and then especially the Hornets in the past have almost used as like throwaway spots that didn't even seem like they even had any interest in using them as NBA players. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, maybe this like sparks a, a change in that trend for the Hornets. And now it's like more of a, of an extra roster spot than just kind of a guy that you can use in Greensboro and hope right. that they develop into something at some point. But I mean, I mean, they, they just assigned uh, Mark Williams and Bryce McGowan's down to, to Greensboro. So Teo's the only two way guy with, the Hornets right now. I'd yeah. imagine that at at some point when the team is healthy, he Teo gets sent down as well, yeah. uh, just so oh, he can sure. play like big minutes with with Greensboro and stuff. But I mean, for now, other I mean, other than in, in Chicago, he's played very well uh, in in the minute, limited minutes that he's gotten, and he also had very little time to like prepare and <laughs> yeah. adjust. Yeah, to we the signed team. him like after kinda, training camp. Yeah, so. it was yeah, it was between. Uh, like the end of camp and opening night. And I mean, he's already, he got thrown right into the fire and he seems to be doing pretty well with it so far. So hopefully that there's, there's something there with that. They're, they're getting like a discounted rookie contract. Basically. basically. Like, yeah, we, uh, we talked, so we've been talking this season pretty positively despite the three and five record. Do you have anybody that deserves to be called out as like a wasn't? Um, so far? I was I like struggling about- to think of somebody. Yeah, honestly, I don't think there's any one person in specific. I think it's more just the concept of injuries and health and ankles. Yeah. Ankles are I'm, <laughs> ankles, ankles are the wasn't. <laughs> ankles are the wasn't. Right I, ankles, I, I, left ankles, 
any part of the ankle is wasn't because they're bad and they just keep getting sprained for whatever reason. If you wear a teal pinstriped uniform, should we do the uh, the the like um, the dummy sports fan take and just be like uh, the hoarded's training staff? Yeah, yeah, right. Be like, oh, whoever the whoever it is that's in charge of keeping these guys healthy is dropping the ball. They're right, they're exactly. out there throwing <laughs> banana peels on the court, putting vegetable oil down so they're all slipping. They're they're you know feeding them horrible meals so they're never in good shape. This is every everyone's fault except for the randomness of injuries. It, in it definitely is, isn't like yeah misfortune. Like it has yeah, to be, so yeah. everything that happens has to be somebody's fault. Right, um, exactly. Even if How it's are all, we going to complain if, if not? Right, because it's like because like you can definitely train around the mellow ball and tear as you're stepping on people's feet. Yeah, and right. Like and Which, uh, yeah, and like Gordon Hayward falling uh, in the perfect play way, like he's a stunt double, like every time. Like you can just make <laughs> him do that instead of playing basketball. Yeah, we um, and, and so now with Hayward, and I guess to to kind of wrap up with the this will be part of our look ahead. Um, the Hornets are now without uh, Lamella Ball, Terry Rozier, Cody Martin, and then I, based on just like injury history, I would not be, expect Gordon Hayward to be like immediately back. I don't know what his injury is, but uh, he's not one to hurry back from injuries. We'll say. So, yeah, um, uh, that's. I think that's a a fair way of putting it. <laughs> Which yeah, so. The Hornets are essentially without their three best players as of you know as of now. Maybe think maybe we'll uh, Gordon will prove us wrong um, and be back sooner than expected. But um, I think that's probably the only like the big downside, right? Because it's hard. You can't really complain about much else going on this season when they're they're so shorthanded. Because like for one, they're missing all their big players, and then also the players that are being heavily relied on are doing things like are, should not be heavily relied on. So you can't even like fairly grade like the way they performed in this role that they shouldn't even be in to begin with and are not in it by design. Um, the one that's weird to me is like, I'm so confused by Cody Martin's injury. He and I don't has know. played one minute this, this season, which I did not know. He has uh, the classic, like one trillion line. On the <laughs> yeah, he's one minute, zero points, year, zero yeah. rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, zero turnovers, zero fouls. Like just, he was on way. the court for like two trips up and down the court. It was very strange. It was just like, he checked into the game first game of the season. They went up and down the court like twice. And then he like subbed out. And then it's, it's just, it's strange because it was like, they took a foul to get him out of the game. And he's been out for two weeks now with quad soreness. So it's just, it's like, which I don't have any, like, I'm not, there's no, like, fault of his. But it's just weird that, like, when I think of soreness, I don't think of, like, an instantaneous injury that's like, I need to come out of the game right now. You normally see that with, like, Like, it'd be like like strain or sprain or something like that. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's, and then maybe it's just the Hornets. The Hornets are kind of like uh, modernizing the way they diagnose injuries. So that might be what it is. Um, instead of calling it a strain and just calling it what it is and that's, and just like pain. Cause uh, then maybe that's what it is, but it's just a weird, a weird situation. And it makes it hard to like have any idea when he's going to be back, but hopefully it's not long. Um, but I know like they, they diagnosed because he was dealing with tendinopathy in the preseason, yeah, which is the new way what people used to call tendinitis. So that made oh. me happy to see that. Yeah. It's, That's news. It's, I had no idea that. Okay. I mean that, why do we do that? That's because <laughs> technically tendinitis is like swelling. Itis implies swelling when like a more accurate, generally when people have tendinitis, quote unquote, it's, there's no actual like physical malady it's just pain it's just like sensitivity yeah so tendinopathy is just like basically like if you say like someone's got like uh patella like you know like knee ten, like a tendinopathy like what left knee tendinopathy or whatever it just means like their knee hurts which is what's always been like jumper's knee or tendinitis or whatever historically it's just like a more accurate diagnosis that no one cared to hear about so if, even though it sounds worse but I wonder if that maybe is contributing to why they're calling it like quad soreness when maybe in the past they would have called it like a quad strain or something like that. 
And um, like on the broadcast, Eric and Dell tonight were like kind of alluding to like Terry Rozier and Lamelo being close er to coming yeah. than Cody was, which is like again, like not like this is his fault at all or like that anyone can control it, but it's just like it's just strange. Like it just didn't like it wasn't his quad that was hurt in the preseason. So like he must have I mean maybe he I'm not saying he didn't but he must have injured it in those two trips up and down the court uh after right. being out from that knee uh that knee injury all preseason or most of preseason which is and then it's just like that if that was severe a severe injury like or a, a, not severe but more than a minor injury like that that that's a, a the worst timing of all time like that right that he could have had like <laughs> I'm watch. I I did see that uh, Rod Boone tweeted out on what day would that be? Tuesday. Uh, all of them are on the court at practice, doing basketball things. All so right. like, so Cody Martin is shooting like uh, like jump basically like jumpers from the free throw line and the mellow balls scrimmaging. Uh, I can't see Terry, but I think Terry's in there somewhere too. Um, so they're all like they're not like immobilized and they're still they're doing basketball activities. So that's that's positive. So all right, we'll trending we'll in the right direction it seems. Right. Yeah. So uh, coming up, the Hornets have um, the Grizzlies on Friday night on the road, and then they come home for a little homestand against starting with the Nets on Saturday, and uh, then the Wizards and the Blazers going into next week. Um, the Grizzlies game is very intimidating, I think. And then after that, I think I think there's some winnable games, right? I know Portland's been really, really good this year, but uh you know. They're as of the time of this recording, they're getting beat pretty bad by Memphis. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I literally have that game on uh in the background. I've been peeking at it periodically as we recording. Um the classic uh Santi Aldama. <laughs> throwing it down in the, right as I turn around to look uh, at this game as well. The, the the Blazers have been really good this year, though. They're they're a super fun team to watch. But I think like at least after that game or the Miami game, the the next day after the Blazers game is when the schedule slows down slightly. But right now, like uh, starting with the Bulls game, they have a game Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Monday. And Wednesday, so they have five games in a week, and then Thursday, so they have six or they have six games in eight days. Like that's that's a lot. So once they yeah. get through that stretch, three of them are at home, so that that does help. But there is this is a, a quite a stretch that they're going through this year, which is compound or to this early in the season, which is compounded by the lack of healthy players and star players uh that they have right now so hopefully those guys can get back at some point uh and if not then at least the hornets will be or hopefully the hornets can at least tread water in a similar way to what they have been so far yeah the schedule is kind of similar to last year where it felt it feels very like uh very little like low rest and then head and road heavy at the beginning of the season with and then and then it gets like and then by the end of the year, or we have like a couple stretches where it's like, oh man, the Hornets have like two games in a week and they're both at home. So yeah, they just got to, so it, it, like you said, there's the timing is unfortunate with the injuries, but if they can tread water and make it halfway decent, like looking like way, way ahead, like coming out of, or like around the all-star break, the Hornets have three straight home games going into the all-star break, have one road game and then have four more home games. Um, from like through, so they'll be on the road once in the span of almost of like three weeks. So, yeah. like that's where it kind of comes back. But they just got to tread water. They don't even have to be like five hundred. Just like kind of hang around, like the record that they're at right now, and hopefully players get back, and then the schedule gets lighter, and then you start making up some ground over the course of the rest of the season. But I think so far early signs are definitely more encouraging than I think pe- many people thought coming into the season. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's not all, not all positive, I, I suppose, but definitely mostly positive. Like that pretty much all of the things that we were looking for outside of 
the uh, things that have to do with health uh, have like happened or come to fruition in some way so far. So, yeah, really like good, we said, I think, like we said, we couldn't really like the fact that no one player has been like such a disappointment that we're like this. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. Like everybody, everybody on there. I guess the only one. Ah, nah, we'll leave it alone. But I think everybody's either been like at or above expectations this year, and now we just need like everyone to be back. And I think we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, hopefully the we gotta do all of our you know health health rituals to bring good health right. to the to the Hornets. Start like drawing yeah. stuff in the sand with with a stick, and, like stirring, <laughs> stirring cauldrons or whatever we gotta yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, get get your Ouija board out. Uh, yeah, or, uh, that you just put. Away. I know it's Halloween or just Halloween just passed. Like keep that out and uh, do some Hornet stuff with it. Um, anything else before we wrap it up, Chase? Um. I don't think so. I think we're good. All right, cool. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We're going to keep coming back more frequently. Um, we will be back soon. So talk to you guys later. See you later.